Hey everybody, it's uh, Joseph Jordan here. I want to welcome you to the pilot episode of the Touch With Fire podcast, uh, where every week I endeavor not to waste your time. And uh, rather than wasting any more of your time, I'm just going to get straight into this week's installment, which is called Seven Scenes from a Trip to California. The last time I went to California, it was Independence Day, and I had strep throat. My ear was clogged, and all the time I heard a high-pitched ringing. My throat was sore and swollen, and at night, when I was falling asleep, it would close up, and I would wake up choking. I was supposed to change planes in San Francisco and continue on to Los Angeles. When I got on the second plane, they put me next to a guy with very firm hair. He wore the worst and strongest cologne I have ever smelled. Just as I was beginning to think to myself, I'm never going to make it to L.A. next to this stinky guy, the flight attendant got on the speaker. There were no flights to Los Angeles or Burbank or Orange County. I was supposed to be my brother, Andy, in two hours. I called and told him not to come. Then I went to the rental car place and convinced them to let me take a car to L.A. at a cut rate. I told them about my sore throat and about the stinky guy on the plane and how I needed to be in L.A. to help Andy move tomorrow. I think they took pity on me. And the whole time I had a fever and my ear was going... It was dark by the time I left the airport and not very warm out. I stopped at a 7-Eleven to buy coffee and when I came out, the fireworks had begun. Boom, boom, boom. Reflecting off the undersides of the clouds, red, white, and blue. I drove south on I-5, hoping to make LA by two or three in the morning. I-5 runs down a sparsely populated stretch of the San Joaquin Valley between the bay and the grapevine a few hundred miles away. Headed south in the dark, I could see all the cities and towns 30 or 40 miles away along 99, the other main freeway that runs through there. In each one like clockwork as I drove by, the fireworks went off, boom, boom, boom. Down here it was clear and the sparks showered tiny and bright across the distant sky. As I drove, my fever rose. Soon I was delirious behind the wheel and afraid. I began to look for somewhere to stop, but there is nowhere on that stretch of road. I drove for four, five, almost six hours, and then found a hotel in the middle of nowhere. When I got out of the car in the dark, a blast of heat hit me in the face. There were no more fireworks by then. Just a hot night and fever dreams. It was the World Cup. In the evenings, Andy and I would try to find a bar somewhere and sit to watch soccer. 
In the day, I would lie on the couch and wait for him to make a decision. Packing your home away is a process by which hundreds of tiny decisions eventually accrue to a result. Should I throw this away? Should I put these books in a box? Which box? Should I do the kitchen first or the living room? I had decided I was not going to make these decisions for Andy, worried that in the timeless way of older brothers I would be encroaching on his personal sovereignty. But he couldn't do it himself. Hours and hours were spent sorting screws into bags for reasons never explained to me. There was a lot of time wasted on the stickum on the wall behind his posters. And in the evening we walked around, searching for places to watch soccer. My hearing had got worse. It felt as though the world was very far away from me. Los Angeles was hot, dusty and spread out. Not a city designed on a human scale. All over there were hills, and on the hills my fever rose. And in the bars I drank beer and felt delirious. Finally I went to a doctor who swabbed my throat and prodded my neck and prescribed me antibiotics. The whole time he seemed frightened of me. It was obvious I was sick and he didn't want what I had. I wanted to say, why are you a doctor then? If sick people scare you so much, what are you doing in this business? But I didn't. We talked about the soccer. My ear rang incessantly. While hospital machines beeped in the background. Andy was bound for Europe once the packing was done, and I was to take him to the airport and then drive his car up to Santa Clarita to meet an old friend I had not seen in years, and then on to Oregon. We were late in starting and sniped at each other the whole way until finally I realized that the only way for us both to get where we were going on time was for me to leave him by the side of the road and let him call a cab. So I ditched him in nowhere Los Angeles. And then I went to Santa Clarita, my ear ringing the whole way. Santa Clarita is brown and hot and mountainous. I had never been there before. When I arrived at the Mexican restaurant on the main street where I had arranged to meet my friend and I found him sitting there at a table, I felt as though we were two rockets that had somehow achieved orbit rendezvous, tiny specks floating in the vastness of space. We talked about two things, dead family and immortality. The older I get, the more interested I am in living forever, he said. I told him the story of my foster brother who had lost his mind that spring and committed suicide. I told my friend about how I had tried to call my foster brother that day, as he no doubt lay dead on the floor of his house, phone ringing in his pocket. I had just finished grad school, and I'd wanted to spray him with my happiness. My friend told me the story of his cousin, who had died in much the same way. Then we sat in the restaurant and felt bad for some time. I think I want to live forever too, I said, and I meant it. Later that day, as the sun sank north of Fresno, the tires melted off the car. 
I felt a thump while doing 80 in the left-hand lane of Highway 99 and eased off the freeway, fear in my throat. I parked down a dirt road in the midst of a grove of oranges and crouched down to look at the damage. The treads had flown away and left behind a silvery mesh that threaded around the inner tubes. Bugs rattled in the trees around me and the sun roasted the dirt as I crouched by the car, thinking, I think I want to live forever. I think I want to live forever. I think I want to live forever. My phone got no reception there. I had to steer the car gently back across the freeway and to a gas station where a fat man in a sweat-stained shirt helped me take all the crap out of the trunk so I could get at the spare tire. Then he tried to help me put the spare tire on, but after a minute or two, he burned his hand on the blacktop and opted out. After that, he sat on the curb and watched me work, offering somewhat helpful advice. My ear kept ringing. I could feel the liquid in my head. I would have to stay that night in Fresno and buy new tires in the morning. The next day was the last day and my fever broke. Slowly my hearing came back as I tore through Stockton, Modesto, Sacramento, listening to the World Cup on the radio. Just north of Sacramento, where the valley turns green and there are still rivers that run all year, I glanced up to the sky and saw four bursts of color bloom against the blue. One, two, three, four. Parachuters deploying their chutes. I wanted to watch them and nothing else, to stare at them as they tumbled like cherry blossoms from above, but I had to drive. I lost them for a time, but then caught sight of them again, closer to the ground, just as one performed an absurd maneuver. He tilted his body and shoot forward, just a few hundred feet from the ground, and began to plummet as though unencumbered. I expected him to pull up, thought this was some daredevil stunt, but he didn't. Instead, he plunged face first into a field and disappeared. I don't know if that person died, though I can't see how the outcome could have been otherwise. I tried not to imagine his body face down in a dry field with the summer sun roasting it. I tried not to imagine his friends coasting to earth around him and finding him twitching or gone. I tried to listen to the soccer on the radio and think of anything else, but the game faded out just as it went to penalty kicks, and I was left with nothing but the question, does a body bounce? Whenever I imagine dying of a terrible fall, which is often, what troubles me most is the terror of knowing you're going to die. We all know we're going to die one day, but knowing that day is today, that it's any second and there's nothing you can do, that seems far worse than the impact to me. I think I want to live forever, and usually I can pretend that's possible. All pretense falls away once you realize that you're going to hit the ground at great speed. I meant to stop that night, somewhere, anywhere, but everywhere I tried, I somehow failed. In weed high up in the Siskiyou, I drove through town and never saw a motel. In Klamath Falls, out on the dusty flats of southeastern Oregon, I was told that there was no room at any of the inns in town. Finally, I found myself driving through the dusk, sky afire with sunset behind the silhouettes of pine trees in the west, all the way to my parents' house up on the Deschutes River. 
My ear was no longer ringing, and my fever had long since washed away. I was home, for what it was worth.